Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 19. Hey, this last week, in our legislature, they uh, began the process which may end up in uh, judges being able to deny bail in uh, more cases than they've been able to deny bail in the past. And this was uh, discussed and enacted with great uh, emotion uh, because of the death of police officers recently, in particular the four who were uh, murdered altogether uh, down in Pierce County by a fellow who was out on bail, who by many reckonings after the fact, people said he shouldn't have been out. He should have been held without bail, and that perhaps would have kept that tragedy from happening. Uh, many times those kind of crimes happen by people that folks say should have been locked up. After those police officers killed, the, the talk radio was full of folks pointing finger. State of Arkansas is guilty. The ex-governor is guilty. Our state is guilty. All these people pointing the fingers. And a little bit of truth to all of them. As we consider the death of Christ, there are many fingers to point there as well. We want to open the scripture in John 19 and understand today who was responsible for the death of Christ. I believe if we understand this, this scripture, this truth of scripture carefully and wisely, it will help us to genuinely worship Christ, especially as we come today to the Lord's Supper that he has asked us to do to remember him. Follow as I read, please, in John chapter 19, starting in verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you, and I have the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. There are a number of people who participated in the death of Christ. And I'd like us to understand as we begin this today that the instigator of the death of Christ was the chief priest. In the passage we just read, the chief priest is not mentioned, but uh, the Jewish people are. And what we see here is the Jewish people as a whole, with their leaders, if you look in verse 6, 
the chief priests and the officers and the crowd around them crying out for Christ to be crucified. If we go down to verse 12, and then Pilate sought to release Jesus. He said, I find no fault in him, but he wanted to release him. But the Jews, that is the multitude of them, cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Then down in verse 15. But they cried out, that is the Jews as a whole, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. In our last study, we saw that this all started out with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Let's review that just a little bit here. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees. If you know your Old Testament, you know there's only supposed to be one chief priest. There can only be one chief. (laughs) They had developed a habit somewhat based on the way the Romans controlled them. There would be a past high priest and the present high priest, maybe two or three past ones, because the Romans would set them up and take them down. In the Old Testament, the chief priest was the chief priest for life. From the time he began, he would continue until he died. But because of the circumstances they were living in, there were a number of people referred to as the chief priest. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have been a religious group, a leading group out of the Jewish people, Uh, separate from the Sanhedrin, which was the official leading group. But the Pharisees were a religious sect, if you will. And here they are, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. They all got together and had a meeting. What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we leave him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year. He was the one at the time of Christ who was actually the designated high priest. The high priest said, you know nothing at all. Help me out. There we go. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied. What it means is God put the words in his mouth, even though his heart was wicked, the words that he said were the the words that God wanted to say. Being the high priest, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. When we ask who is responsible for the death of Christ, we need to start with Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas wanted Jesus dead. Throughout the crucifixion narrative, we see him and the others, the past high priest as a group, playing a significant leadership role. Listen to this other scripture which talks about his guilt from Acts 3, after all of the events of the crucifixion were over. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. This is Peter talking to the Jewish people. He said, Pilate was wanting to let him go, but you people would not let him go. You denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, And you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, 
of which we are witnesses. God says to them, look, you are responsible for this. You did this. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And one more scripture that is the most damning and scary of all, from Matthew's account of these events, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather that a tumult, a, uh, a riot was about to occur, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. That's what I'd call the crowd mentality. Do you suppose they had any clue about what they were doing? No. But who was stirring them up? It was Caiaphas and the other leaders of Israel going, come on, crucify him, crucify him. You know, let his blood be upon us. And, and away they went. They were the instigators of the death of Christ. Now, if we stopped here, we might end up like a famous reformer, Martin Luther, becoming anti-Semitic, that is, Jewish-hating folk. But this is just the beginning. This is just one of the people who participated in the death of Christ. You see, the accomplice in this death was Pilate. Look at chapter 18, verse 28 of John, please. John 18, 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, from the quote-unquote trial at Caiaphas' place, to the praetorium, to the place where the Roman governor would have been staying. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and he said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If we, he were not an evildoer, we would, have, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and you judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus spoke several times and mentioned the idea of being lifted up. That was a reference to crucifixion. If the Jews had killed him, they would have stoned him. And Christ had prophesied, and there had been other prophecies before that would say he would die on the cross. Pilate was an accomplice. The high priest wanted Jesus dead, but he couldn't do it because he needed the approval of the Roman government. Now, later on in the book of Acts, we see them stoning Stephen. I don't know if it was a time issue or if it was a crucifixion issue, but somehow they needed Pilate to go along with them. And Pilate did go along eventually. Jesus even predicted this um, in Matthew 20, some uh, sometime before he went to the end of the crucifixion. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him to the Gentiles. That could only be the Romans in that time frame. To mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. And so Pilate cooperated in the death of Christ. 
Caiaphas didn't act alone, and neither did Pilate. The Roman soldiers who arrested Christ and abused Christ and who actually nailed him to the cross were also guilty of putting an innocent man to death. So in this incredible drama, we see the Jews were the instigators and the Romans their co-conspirators. One author put it this way, the, the Jews put out the hit and the Romans carried it out. But that's not the end of the story either. Because what we understand is that the originator of this death was God the Father himself. From Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which he did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. It's a fascinating combination of the events in this verse. He said, you, with your lawless hands, you did what God wanted to be done. Ultimately, Christ died because of, the, of God the Father's plan to save us. God's plan becomes clearer in this passage. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, the only recourse God had was to send a perfect sacrifice to die in their place. Now, was God surprised by that? Did God create Adam and Eve and say, I wonder what they're going to do? No. He knew what they were going to do. Many people have said it's unfair that he set them up in such a way that they could fail. God put them in a place and allowed them to make a choice knowing that he would have to go and save them so that in the end they would look at him and say, wow, you are incredible. You gave yourself to save us when we willfully went our own way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the, the remedy for that is to be justified or to be made righteous freely by his grace through the payment, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to satisfy his wrath against sin. That's what that big theological word propitiation means. God said, I have to have payment for sin, and he sent Jesus to pay the debt. He set him up as a, as a payment for sin by his blood, and how does it come to us? It comes to us through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness, because in his patience and his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were committed before Christ died to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Christ. Humanly, we might look at God and say, God has a dilemma. Mankind is sinful and can't save themselves. God wants to save us. But he can't overlook our sin. He can't close his eyes and say, you sneak into heaven while I'm not looking. We'll just pretend it's okay. Kind of like grandpa in the cookie jar. Grandpa in the candy basket in his office. Yeah, go ahead, have all you want. No, God's not like that. God is just. He is righteous. And so he can't, he can't close his eyes to sin. He says, how can I bring my people together and still maintain my righteousness? How can I be just and the justifier? 
He did it by sending Christ to pay for our sin. And so although we deserve to die and go to hell, God has, is able to take our sin away based on what Christ did on the cross. He can be just and the justifier. Someone had to bear our punishment, either us forever in hell or someone else to bear it for us so we could be forever in eternal life in heaven. Isaiah 53 puts it this way, It pleased Jehovah, the, the Father, to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord. So when we say, who is responsible for the death of Christ? In a very great way, God the Father is, because it was his plan to bring us salvation. This famous verse bears it out as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If God had not determined to send Christ to suffer death for us, we would all suffer death in eternity. And so we rejoice in the knowledge that God himself created a solution to our sin problem. We're left to wonder if the Jews or if Pilate should be held accountable for their part in this drama. It was God's plan Weren't they doing God's will? Why should they be punished for doing God's will? The answer is no, they were not robots. And yes, they should be held accountable because the one inspiring them to commit sin, the promoter of this death, was Satan himself. Now, I don't want to get, create an image in your mind that there is a good God and an evil God because that is not the case. There is a God creator who created some angels, and some of them chose to rebel and became wicked, and one of those angels was Satan. And so Satan is a powerful, powerful creature beyond what we can imagine, but he is not a God. There is a battle between God and Satan like this, not a battle like this. They are not equals who fight for domination of our world. God is superior and he allows Satan a degree of freedom. God knew what kind of choices Pilate and Caiaphas would make given a certain situation. He knew that Caiaphas would be insanely jealous of Christ. He knew that Pilate would be uh, fearful of losing his place. If there was a riot, he would have lost his job as the governor of Judea because the Caesar would have said, obviously, you can't handle this. After Satan succeeded in tempting Adam and Eve, he was cursed by God and he was made aware that God was going to send a Savior. And so ever since that time, he has been out conspiring against Christ and inspiring man to rebel against God. Part of the account of, one of the accounts of that is from Revelation chapter 12. And of course the book of Revelation was written very last in the Bible. And so from the perspective, and, and it's written about things that happen yet in the future, and it's a retrospective snapshot of various events, including this one. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. This is speaking of the nation of Israel. With the moon and the stars under her feet and on a head, on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Now, we don't have time to unpack this whole scripture. I would be glad to go over it with you personally later if you're struggling with it. But what it says is this. God called his nation Israel, and out of that nation was to come a son who would be the deliverer, who would rule all of the nations. And Satan was standing there waiting for Christ to be born. And what did he do to try to devour the child he inspired a jealous ruler to kill all of the boys of a certain age and younger in the town of bethlehem to try to eradicate christ i'm sure that ruler thought he was doing his own will but we see here that there was a devil inspiring and conspiring to try to fight against christ this was not the first time Satan did this. Satan did this throughout the, the history time of the Old Testament, many times and in many ways. That's a Satan's ministry, if you will. Satan's activity is to fight against Christ. And so he comes along and he goes, Caiaphas, Caiaphas, this guy's going to take your place. You're not going to have anything. You're, you're going to be nothing if you let this guy go. And he goes to Pilate and he says, Pilate, you gotta put, you got to go along with these guys, because if you don't go along... Da, 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 da. And Pilate, clearly, as a person accustomed to making judgments on cases, looked at the evidence and said, I find no fault in him. And yet he went forward. Did Satan make him? No. No, absolutely not. What was God's part in this? Do you know what's really fascinating about this? Well, in fact, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to the, to the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber? This is when he's arrested in the Garden of Eden. When I was with you daily in your temple, you did not try to seize me. But now, now this is your hour and the power of darkness. But neither Pilate nor Caiaphas were under the authority, under the mandate of the devil. For God's part in this, look what God did. God warned Pilate. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, sent to Pilate and said, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. You ever pick up on this? God warned Pilate through his wife to not proceed. Now, how much more gracious can God be? God gave Pilate the sense to see that he wasn't guilty and that the Jews were just pushing this on their own agenda. And then God gave a dream to his wife. Now, I know it doesn't say it came from God. Do you think Satan would give her a dream like that? There's only two places for it to come from. But what was God's part with Pilate and with Caiaphas? It was this part. 
God didn't make them, but God also didn't restrain them. And so both of them did exactly what they wanted to do as human, as sinful human beings. God didn't make Pilate sin, but he let him do as his sinful heart desired. The Jews instigated, the Romans cooperated, God originated, Satan promoted. But there are more suspects in this crime. Mankind created the need for this death. Matthew 20, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for money, many. If it were not for us sinners, Christ would not have needed to die. We might like to blame Caiaphas, or we might like to blame Pilate, or we might just say, well, it's all God's will. But the truth is, it's all God's will because we were sinners. We are sinners who needed a Savior. Christ died in our place. He was our substitute. He ransomed us. We were being held captive to our sin. And He ransomed us. But us Christians are not ultimately responsible for the death of Christ because the controller of this death was Christ himself. Listen to his words in John. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Yes, the Jews instigated. Yes, the Romans cooperated. Yes, God originated the plan. Yes, I am the reason he had to do it. But ultimately, Christ laid down his life because he loved us. He loved me and he loved you. Who do you love so much that you would die for? Who is that person that, like the Secret Service, you would jump in front of a bullet for? I dare say if we gave you a chance to share, there are some people in your life who you, you, would, you would at least say, I would hope to do so. Okay, None of us knows till that moment comes. Maybe that's why the Secret Service does it, because they decide ahead of time that they're going to do it. I don't know. Do you understand that Christ died for us while we were not the kind of people you would normally die for? For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man. You know, for somebody that I really like, somebody who's good, scarcely, occasionally, somebody will do that, will die for them. Yet perhaps even for a good man, someone would dare to die. But God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You are the reason for the cross. He went there willingly out of love for you. How should we respond to that? If you appreciate Christ, you will believe. He came and said, look, I'm here to be your Savior. I'm going to bear your sin. I'm going to pay your penalty. And if you are looking at that kind of sacrifice going, yes, yes, yes. And then he says, here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to believe. And you go, no, no, no. What it really means is you don't really appreciate his sacrifice. If you appreciate the fact that you are the reason that he died and that he went willingly, you will believe. You will say, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Christ shed his blood on the cross, which was the only thing God would accept as payment for my sin. He died and rose again to give me a new life. I believe that he is the Son of God. That's the faith that God wants from us today. Secondly, if you appreciate Christ's death, you will worship. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might make us righteous, might sanctify us, with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Do you understand what this is talking about? They did not execute people in town because it was a terrible thing. And plus, dead bodies made you unclean. And so they would have a place outside of the city. And he was taken outside and crucified. And to be lifted up on a cross was a reproach. It was a curse. And he says, he went out to make you righteous. You ought to be willing to go out and be with him. Do you remember the people who were at the foot of the cross? Do you remember how many of the disciples were there? How many hands do we need to count that? John was there. And Jesus' mother. Maybe a couple of other women. They were willing to be identified with him at the cross. Now look at the response. For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, here's how we ought to respond. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, and here's what it means, the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. When we sing, we can worship. When we give a testimony, we can worship. When we're having our private prayer time in the morning before our day starts, we can worship. Anytime during the day, we can offer a praise to God. Worship ought to be a lifestyle for us. Are you ashamed to lift your voice in songs of praise because you have a lousy voice? A lot of times people will say, you don't want me up there on the platform. That's right, I don't. That doesn't mean you shouldn't make a joyful noise out there in the chairs. If the reason you don't lift your voice in praise is because you're embarrassed of how your voice sounds, then you care more about what people think of you than what God thinks of you. 
Are you ashamed to say praise the Lord when something good happens? Something good happens at work. Do you say, wow, that was lucky? Or are you willing to say, praise the Lord? Every good gift comes from God, from the Father of lights, with whom is no shadow or variableness of turning. Every good thing, it ought to be part of our way of speaking to just recognize the blessing of God. If if it's some little thing driving down the road, or if it's some big thing that you're praying about, whatever it is, Christ wasn't ashamed to be insulted and whipped and killed for me. And he asks me to offer the sacrifice of praise to him. Thirdly, if you appreciate Christ, you will obey. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, while that particular verse sounds like it's talking about actions of love, do you remember how Christ summarized the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that God would summarize the Christian life, half of the Christian life as obedience, and the other half as worship. Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. The worship team is going to come now. I'm going to be singing a song to give you an opportunity to meditate and to worship as the deacons share the bread with you and the juice with you. And I hope your heart will be full of worship as we spend this time together.